You know, uh, some of us spend our entire lives trying to please others. And you know who you are, right? Because you probably gave yourself this label or, you know, some people in your life have given you this label that you're a people pleaser, right? And you know if you're a people pleaser or not, when, if you're the type of person that whenever you go into social environments, you get really worried and concerned and anxious about will the person or the people I'm with, will they like me? And if you say something, it's like, oh no, was that offensive? Should I have said that? That's kind of, you know, that's what goes through your heart and through your mind if you're a people pleaser. And, uh, but not all of you are wired that way and that's okay. If you're not a people pleaser, it doesn't make you a bad person. It just means people don't like you. It's okay, it's fine. Just kidding. Uh, you know, probably to some degree, we are all people pleasers or at least a person pleaser. I think it's human to want someone to like us, right? We want someone to be pleased with us, to look at us and say, I'm pleased with you. In fact, many of the uh, hurts and maybe wounds that you carry from, from your past are tied to this very idea. Maybe you had a mother and it didn't matter how much you tried, you could not please her. Or maybe you had a father and it didn't, doesn't matter how hard you tried and you tried, it doesn't matter how hard you tried, you could not please him. And along the way, you probably thought of this question or this question went through your mind, could I ever be pleasing? Could I ever be pleasing? And maybe for you, it wasn't a mother or it wasn't your father. Maybe for you, it was a coach or maybe for you, it was a teacher or maybe for you, it was a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or your spouse or your ex-spouse. And, and it seemed you could do a hundred things right and there was silence and you do one thing wrong and you never heard the end of it, right? And you wonder, could I ever be pleasing but this isn't just a question we ask about the human relationships we have. This is a question I bet you've asked in regards to your heavenly father. As it relates to God, could I ever be pleasing to God? Would God ever celebrate anything about me? Would God ever be excited about me? Maybe another way of asking this is, is there such a thing as God-pleasing spirituality? And if so, where does it start? Well, 2,000 years ago, this question was rattling the minds of people as it does us today. And Jesus came along and he taught one of his most famous uh, teachings that you know. You probably, even if it's your first time in church, you've probably heard the story or you've heard a version of this story. And Jesus came along and he answered this question, where does it start? Is there such a thing as God-pleasing spirituality? What, when is it that God celebrates us? And his teaching was so surprising and it baffled the, 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 the hearers originally and it continues to baffle us today because what Jesus taught turns upside down what we think God expects and what will make God happy regarding us. Because like those original hearers, we have this idea that we have to be perfect or at least very close to perfect before God will ever say, I'm pleased with you. I'm gonna celebrate you. And Jesus turned this all upside down. He said, actually, it starts somewhere very different than that. And the story we're gonna look at, as soon as you hear it, you'll be like, oh, I know this story. It's the prodigal son or the lost son. And some of you are like, ah, oh, I heard that story. I, I'm, 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 I'm j just checking out early, right? I'm just going to leave. We locked all the doors other than this one. 
but I'm guarding that one, so you're not getting out. The story of the prodigal son, but interestingly, in the story of the prodigal son or the lost son, it's actually not one story Jesus told. Jesus told a trilogy. He told three stories that, in essence, all three say the exact same thing, but in the third one, there's this twist at the end that just kind of, whoa, where'd that come from? And we're not going to deal with that today. This, the sermon, I'm going to break it into two, so next week is part two, so you've got to come back next week to find out what the twist is. But we're going to look at the first two stories and the first part of the third story to, get a heart, to understand the heart of God as it relates to this question. Where does it start? Where does God-pleasing spirituality start? start? And as we get into this, we're going to find it's very difficult different than what we expect. Well, before we get to the first story, the author, Luke, who wrote this all for us, gives us the context of why this all came up. And if you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 15. And he writes this, he says, now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And this is always happening in the Gospels. This is always happening as Jesus walked this earth in physical form. It seemed that the, the sinners and the tax collectors, the people who were nothing like Jesus, they seemed to love Jesus. They were attracted. He was so inviting to them. And, and they just kind of surrounded Jesus all the time. They just kept following him around, these sinners and tax collectors. But it wasn't just them. There's another group of people that show up, and we're introduced to them the next. But the Pharisees... And the teachers of the law were there. And you couldn't describe two more different groups of people. As I told you last week, the sinners and tax collectors on the, on the spiritual and social totem pole, they were like the bottom rung. And the tax collectors were like under the bottom rung, right? Like nobody liked them. And if there was anyone, if you went around the streets and you're like, who's the furthest from God? If there's like a God-pleasing list, who's at the back of the line? Who doesn't make the list? And everyone say, the, the, the tax collectors and the sinners. But now the Pharisees show up, and this is the exact opposite. If you asked any first century Jewish person, you're like, who's the closest to God? If God is pleased with any of us, who would it be? They'd say, these guys. In fact, it's their day job. They just read the, the law, and they try to follow it meticulously. If anyone is close to God, if anyone is as close to perfect as perfect can be, it's these guys. And Jesus has these two audiences. And you have to understand the stories he tells is in regard to these polar opposite audiences. So we have the tax collectors and the sinners, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them and they couldn't get this about Jesus. In fact, this is what they bump up constantly. They couldn't understand why does Jesus hang out with these lowliest of the low, the bottom of the spiritual totem pole? Why does Jesus not only welcome them, but he communes with them? He eats with them. Because here's what the Pharisees, and here's why they couldn't understand it, because the Pharisees were a lot like you. And a lot like me. A lot like us. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law love to do something we all love to do. They love to raise the bar. They love to raise. And here's the deal. When you get in on something, something that's human nature, is once we're in, we love to raise the bar to keep others out. We do this all over. The, we just love this. In fact, I'll give you some examples. We do this scholastically. You know, if you've graduated from a college or university with a degree, the alumni love it when that school ups the ante, raises the bar on entrance to that degree, because what? It makes you better. You get grandfathered in, right? It's like, yeah, raise the bar, keep others out, make it better, it looks good on me. This actually happened to me a few years ago. 
uh, 12 years ago, I went and got my dri uh, class one driver's license. And at that time, it was about, it cost me like 500 bucks and a few hours with this lady named Karen who goes to our church. It's all it cost me. But since then, everything's changed. And now if you were to get your driver's license, class one driver's license, it's like, ten, it's like thousands of dollars and you don't get to spend time with Karen anymore, right? It's like they've changed that. And so it's like, but here's the deal. For me, I love it, right? It's like I got grandfathered in. I'm not even grandpa, but I got grandfathered in, right? It's like I have the license and they just up the ante and it makes me look good. And we all do this and we all love this and we do this spiritually as well. We come to God and maybe we get in and then all of a sudden we look at others who aren't in and we raise the bar. Oh, no, no, to get, you got to do this. Oh, you can't do that in life. You got to change that. You can't come to God. And like, you, got, you can't. Stop talking that way. Stop acting that way. And we, we raise the bar because it makes us feel better. And this is what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were always doing. But here's the thing about Jesus and this is why they got so mad at Jesus. Jesus continually lowered the bar. And he kept lowering the bar and he kept inviting more and more people in. People that they said they have no business being in. And Jesus just kept inviting them in and they couldn't get it. And, be, and, and to show the heart of God, to, for them to understand why Jesus was doing this, Jesus tells three stories. He tells them a parable. And his parable is a story. He says these three stories. He says, here's the heart of God. Here's what you don't understand about your heavenly father. He's talking to tax collectors and sinners on the left. You're right. Pharisees and teachers, the law on the other side. And he starts with this story. He says, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and, uh, and go after the lost sheep until he finds this, finds his lost sheep? You know, most of us aren't sheep farmers. We're like, I don't know. Is that what sheep guys do? I don't know. Maybe they do. I don't know. But let me tell you, here's the principle, and this is true of all of us. Have you ever noticed when you have a lot of something and you lose one, where does all your attention go? On the one you lost, right? You got like 10 pairs of shoes, but you lose one. All of a sudden, you're not thinking about the nine you have. You're like, where's that pair of shoes? Like, was it in the trailer? Did I leave it? Did the dog get them? Like, I got to find this pair of shoes, right? Or you got 10 sweaters. Like, you're not thinking about the nine you still have. It's like, where's the one I put? I don't know where I put it. I lost it. This is what he's getting at. He says, doesn't the, the shepherd leave the 99 in the open country, which is kind of crazy because they might be at risk, but he's willing to risk to go and find the one that's lost, and he doesn't rest until he finds it. And then he goes on and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. And this is what we do. It's like, oh, I lost one. I got nine, but I got to find this one. And when we find, we're like, honey, come. I found my pair of shoes. This is so exciting, right? We got to celebrate. And Jesus says all this not to be like, here's human tendency, it says, here's the heart of your heavenly father. And here's the point. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. That God throws a party in heaven. That God-pleasing spirituality begins He goes on and tells another story, which is actually the same story. He just says it another way. He says it, says it again. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? It's like she's not worried about the nine she has. She's worried about the one she doesn't. And when she finds it, 
She calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. And then Jesus says, here's the point. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus is saying, come, 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 come. Tax collectors, sinners, you righteous ones, come here. Let me tell you about what God gets excited about. And then he goes to his third story. And the third story is the exact, he just says the same thing, but he says it in more detail. And then there's this twist at the end. You gotta come back next week for the twist. Here's what he says. He says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the, uh, of the estate. So a, a father with two sons, the younger son says, hey, I want what's coming to me, but I want it now. And in that culture, everyone would have known the, the eldest son of, of a family gets a double portion inheritance. So in essence, the younger son goes to his dad, says there's two of us, he gets two thirds, I get a third, I want my one third now. Now this is unbelievable. It, it, we can't even imagine, we can't even imagine how big of a slap this is, how disrespectful this is in a patriarchal society that this was where men ruled and, and the father was like king in the house. You can't even imagine, you can't imagine how disrespectful this is. Because in essence, what the son is saying is this, dad, I wish you were dead. But since you won't die fast enough, can I have what's coming to me, but I don't want to wait until you die. And like I said, we, we, that's offensive to us. In their culture, just times it by 100. This is so offensive. I mean, at this point in the story, I think Jesus just started, I think the tax collectors and the sinners, you know, they're, they're in the Pharisees are like, what? And I bet the tax collectors and sinners are like, that's a bad, that's a bad guy. I mean, I'm a bad guy, but I don't even stoop that low, right? Like, this is just so low. Father, I wish you were dead. I don't want you, but I want what you have, and I don't want to wait for you to die. You're dead to me. And everyone in the room and everyone in the, on the hillside would have thought, this is what comes next. This is how the story ends. The father looks at his son and say, out. You're not my son. And he disowns him. The father doesn't do that. He actually obliges. So he divided his property between his two sons, two-thirds the older, a third to the younger. That word property is actually the Greek word that translates into English as the word life. He divided up his life, the way he made a living. He divided up all that was him. And gave it to his younger son. And here's the deal. You farmers, you know this. But in a farming agricultural uh, society, your land is your life. It's your livelihood. It's what you're tied to. In fact, in Jewish culture, it was even more so than now because in Jewish culture, you actually couldn't sell your own land. After 50 years, the year of Jubilee came and it all went back to the original owner. It was all a lease. This was who he was. It was his livelihood. This is his life. And he divided up who he was, the very all that he had left, and he gave it to the younger son and divided it to his older son. But here's the deal. The land's of no value to the son. I mean, land has no value unless you do what? Sell it. It's exactly, exactly what the younger son does. And by selling the land, he dissolves himself of any connection 
to his heritage, to his family line, to his father. He just said, Father, I don't want you. I want your stuff. And now that I, want, now that I have your stuff, I don't want any connection to my childhood. And he sells it all. Well, it's told not long after that. The younger son got together all he had, all the money he'd collected from dissolving himself of his father's relationship and his estate. He set off for a distant country. <laughs> and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. The son wanted to have a good time. The son wanted to experience all that he could experience in life. But he wanted to experience it apart from his father. See, the, the son got lost trying to find happiness apart from the relationship with his father. He said, Father, I want to have happiness, but I don't want it in relationship with you. In fact, I want what you have. I don't want you. And he gave himself, get this, the younger son gave himself to himself. He gave himself to himself and he got lost in the self-indulgent life. See, when you give yourself to yourself, you become your own end. And when you become your own end, in the end, you're left by yourself. And with the boatload of regrets that accompany this self-indulgent life. He gave himself to himself. He wanted what the father had, but he wanted it apart from the relationship with the father. And he sought pleasure. And he gave himself to wild living. And you know, in many ways, we do this same thing with our heavenly father, don't we? When we seek pleasure and we become our own end. We say, I'm living for myself. We say, God, I want all that you have, but I want it apart from relationship with you because here's the deal. Pleasure and experience was given to you by your heavenly father. And the moment we say, I want to experience pleasure and I want to experience, have these experiences apart from my heavenly father, I don't want them within the bounds of morality or guidelines of rules that he's given. I want what he has apart from relationship with him. We start chasing alcoholism, it's experience, drugs. We start chasing senses of, of, of food and sex and lust we give ourselves fully to the bitterness and the hatred and the anger because it feels so good. You give yourself to the pleasure apart from relationship with your heavenly father. In the end, you'll be, you'll have only yourself accompanied by the boatload of regrets that the self-indulgent life gives. And this is what the younger brother did. I'll ask you in what ways have you sought, or maybe are you seeking happiness apart from your father? We say, God, I want what you have, but I don't want you. I want what you have, but I want it apart from you. I want to go my way. And in some ways, I think we can all relate to the younger brother, can't we? And some of you have a past, you have a story that's exactly this, where you ran your own way. Some of you are living that story right now and for all of us, we at least, at the very least, have compartments in our lives where we say, okay, God, I'll give you this, but I'm not giving you this. I wanna do this on my own. I'm keeping control. I'm going my way. 
I want you, but I don't want it in relationship with you. It's the lostness of the self-indulgent life. And I imagine if you have experienced this and as you consider what you've done in, in disrespecting your heavenly father, you wonder, could he ever accept me? Could he ever take me back? Is there anything I can do to undo what I've done? Well, the story goes on after he had spent everything. There was a severe famine in that whole country. Remember, he's in this distant country. And he began to be in need because he found out what all of us find out when we give ourselves to ourselves. In the end, we're left by ourselves. He's out of prospects, he's out of friends, and he's out of money. And he began to feel need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country, a foreign country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. At this point in the story, the tax collectors and the, you know, the, the sinners and the Pharisees who have nothing in common give the exact same response. They're like, oh, snap, right? Like, no way. I mean, in Jewish culture, you work with the pigs. I mean, they're like the bottom animal of all bottom animals. You're like, this is not kosher, right? I mean, he just hit the bottom of the barrel. This is the equivalent. If you're like a diehard Calgary Flames fan, okay? This is equivalent. Like, you're out of work and you can't find anything. And then you go work for the Oilers organization, right? He's like, oh, right? Or like, you can't find a job and you're like, I had to go to Troshu to find, oh no, I wasn't gonna say that, right? Oh, right? This is like, they're all like, what? He's at the bottom of the bottom. He just hit the bottom of the bucket, but it gets worse. It goes on. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. Like, this is the not kosher animal who are eating foods. He's like, I just want to eat what they're eating. And he couldn't even get that. He has hit the bottom, bottom of the barrel. And unfortunately, but it's so common, what happens next often doesn't happen in our lives until we hit this. For some reason, we don't do what he did next until we experience the bottom of the barrel. And this is what he does next. When he finally came to his senses, he realized, what am I doing? I'm at the bottom. This is as bad, this is worse than I could have ever imagined. When he finally came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. He finally came to his senses and said, there's got to be a different way. And he came up with this plan. And here's the plan. He he said, I'm going to set out and go back to my father. And I'm going to say to him, and he planned this speech. He said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So I'm not coming back as a son. Could you make me like a hired servant? Just accept me as a slave. We put this in modern kind of English terms. Here's what he says. His dad, I'm a disaster. (laughs) I've been a complete fool and in the process, I trashed you. I trashed your good name. I don't deserve to be called, called your son. I lost that privilege by my own behavior. But could I be a hired hand? I'll work for what I get and I'll have no rights to anything because I don't have rights. I'm a disaster. And he's at a distant country. And I think he practiced this speech day and night and night and day as he made his way back and anticipated this this moment where he meets dad. So he went. He got up. 
and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father pulled the servants together and said, see, see that guy? Bar the gates. I don't know him. That's what we would expect him to do. The father doesn't. When he saw him, he was filled with compassion for him. And then he does something completely ridiculous. It's like silly ridiculous. We're like, what are you doing? He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. In this culture, in a patriarchal society, a father who's esteemed does not run. He lost his dignity. He was willing to become undignified for his undeserving, disgraceful, disowned son. But remember, what the son been practicing for the last few days? He's got a speech, and he pushes his dad off. He says, Dad, just wait, just wait. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And his father stops, and he says, stop talking already. And his father, in essence, says this, I know what you are because of you. <laughs> Everybody knows what you are because of you. But let me tell you who you are because of me. I know what you are because of what you've done. I know what you are because of your past. But let me tell you who you are because of me, because of who I am. And this is how he said, he says it a little differently. He says, no, 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 no. The father said to his servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate. Why? Because this son, (laughs) not this disgrace, that was true. Not this fool, that was even more true. (laughs) The son. Not just any son, the son of mine. He disowned me and he dissolved himself of any connection to me, but I will never disown him. The son of mine was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. What does God get really excited about? What is God willing to celebrate, to throw a party in heaven for? Jesus turned upside down our expectations. God is not waiting for you to meet some sort of level of perfection. But actually, God-pleasing spirituality is available to everyone. It begins with repentance, and here's the deal. Repentance is is in essence doing this. It's throwing ourselves on the mercy of our heavenly father because we are unworthy. It's like we come to God and God's like, I know what you are because of you, but let me tell you who you are because of me. And we simply throw ourselves on the mercy and the grace of God. That's repentance and that's why it's available to everyone because it's not about you. God-pleasing spirituality isn't about you getting somewhere. It's not about you accomplishing something. It's about what God has already done, declaring you a child of the king. It's us simply saying, I fall on that mercy. I fall on your grace. I don't know in what ways you relate to the younger son. 
But I imagine if you come face to face with what you've done as you get to the bottom of the barrel of what you have done to disgrace your heavenly father, that you right now or in the past have told yourself some lies about your heavenly father. As you come face to face with what you've done, you've said lies like this. If God knew what I have done, he could never accept me. He could never forgive me. And he could never love me because I know what I've done and I can't love me and I can't accept me and I can't let go of the disgrace that I've made of myself. And I bet you've told yourself lies. Say, if God knew the person I slept with and the person I imagined sleeping with and the pictures that I looked at, and if God knew the way I'd harbored anger and my heart towards other and unforgiveness and the way I hated, even cursed God himself. And if God knew the way that I seduced others and abused others and the way that I uh, used my power over others. And maybe worst of all, and this is one that I think we do so often and, and it gets us, if God knew what I did to cover up what I had done, the lies I told and the blood on my hands, because the way I treated those who had no power. If God knew, he would not accept me. I wanna tell you, I wanna give you a picture of your heavenly father. Not only does your father accept you, when when a lost child comes home, you have a heavenly father who doesn't stand back at a distance and say, I told you so. I told you, come to your senses. You'd know, you'd see it my way one day. No, you don't have a heavenly father that says, I told you so. You have a heavenly father who doesn't even wait for your confession to come out because he knows your heart and he says, bring the clothes, dress them as prince and princess because this is my daughter and this is my son. I don't know how you relate and how your story relates to the younger son, but my prayer for us today is to see what Jesus wanted us to see, the heart of our heavenly Father. And that we would take a posture, not a one time I throw myself on, but a posture every day, every moment, every week, saying, God, I throw myself on your mercy. I don't deserve it. And God says, I know what you are because of you. Let me tell you who you are because of me. As you consider that thing that you're carrying of what you've done, I want to read to you something a minor prophet wrote as he spoke for God himself. And he wrote this to God's prodigal son, the nation of Israel. And this was during a season when other prophets were declaring on the nation, hey, you're going to get judged. You're in so much sin. You're so lost. You're the younger brother that's just going to get lost. You're so done. And God comes along to his prodigal son and says this, and this is true of you and your prodigal life. Let me speak this over you. In all the ways that you tell yourself lies about God, here's the truth about God towards you. The Lord God said this, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. That's hard to fathom. As you think of your darkest moment, 
your most wayward place in life, that you have a heavenly father who says, I take delight in you. I'm gonna rejoice over you with singing. That's your father. And this kind of God-pleasing spirituality isn't beyond your reach. It's within your reach because it's not about you. It's simply turning to him in repentance and throwing yourself on his mercy and grace. In closing, I want to play a song that I think accentuates this message. The song challenges us, which I think Jesus has already done, to expand the borders of what we think about our Heavenly Father, to expand the, expand the borders, to understand even further something that we can never fully understand because His love is so limitless. But would you be encouraged to expand your understanding of your Heavenly Father? Uh, enjoy the song and uh, be encouraged.
you guys to stand. I want to pray this 2,000 year old prayer over you. Let's pray together. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Go in God's love and uh, we'll see you next week for part two of the story. Have a great week. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.